So young Bobby was late to the football game his friends had invited him to play. And they asked why. He said, well, I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to come play football with you guys or go to church this morning. So I decided to flip a coin. They said, well, why did that take so long? He said, well, I had to flip it 35 times. So welcome to the hills. Whether you're in person at West Fort Worth or South Lake, North Richard Hills, or watching online, you've joined us for the second week of a series I've titled Essential Church. We recall when the pandemic began, many schools and businesses and organizations suspended gathering together. But some stayed open to the public because they were deemed essential. And the question we're asking is just how essential is it for followers of Jesus to get together in person? Now, the reality is before the pandemic, there was already a well-researched decline in church attendance among people in our country. The pandemic has only accelerated what was already happening. Let me be clear, though, this is not true in the rest of the world, especially in nations that are more impoverished, in nations where it's actually dangerous to be a Christian. Church attendance is booming. Someone sent me this picture last week of a church in the Philippines, and they had a flood, and it didn't keep people from coming to church. Now, in our country, if you have a hint of rain, church attendance plummets. But I'm just saying, in most of the world, church attendance is doing quite well. But in our culture, it's declining. And there are many reasons for this. One of them is the advent of online church. Now, I made it real clear last week, I'm a big fan of the blessing of offering people resources from a church online. I know of people who, for physical reasons, can't even leave their home. What a blessing they can watch church online. I understand there are people right now who, taking care of others and with underlying conditions, need to be away from crowds at this moment. I get that. I'm thankful that there are members of the military around the world who are blessed by watching our church online. I'm thankful that there are missionaries around the world every week who worship in their new language and then in the evenings, they can get around a screen and they can worship in their native language watching the hills online. I'm thankful for all of this. But I said last time and I say today, what is vital for some should not become normal for most. I believe it is essential for every follower of Jesus to be actively engaged in the kind of of Christian community that demands presence. And when you think about it, we believe that in other areas of our life. How many of you would be okay with your mate saying, I, honey, I travel so much during the week and it's so exhausting to make another trip to come home to see you and the kids on the weekend. So I'm just gonna FaceTime. It's the same thing. I get to see everybody, right? So we'll just FaceTime and I won't actually come home. You would not be okay with that. How many of you have children and grandchildren in other cities or states 
And during the holidays, you want to just Zoom with them. You want them to come home and to be around your table because we understand the value of physical presence. Now, let me be real. I plan my sermon series months in advance so I can give it the preparation it deserves. I planned this series in the spring. At that time, the pandemic numbers were going down and it looked like come August, it was time to call everybody back to physical gathering at church. Well, things have changed. I get that. I completely understand that for some right now, gathering is not the wisest thing to do and I support that decision. But I'm gonna contend again that when you can, it is always better to gather with other believers because church is not a commodity. Church is a community. Church is not a product that you just go online and order up at your convenience. Church is a people. The way the word church is used in the Bible more than any other is this, to refer to a local community of believers who gather regularly and commit together to help each other follow Jesus. And I believe the intentional pursuit and active engagement in that kind of community is essential. And we'll say next week how it's essential to your growth as a Christian, and then in two weeks how it's essential to the mission of God. But what I want to do today is contend. It is absolutely essential to your faith. And to make my case, I want us all to look at the very first church. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts, find chapter two. And here's the context. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has met with his disciples, instructing them about the nature of the kingdom. Before he ascends, he says, I want you to go into all the world, but before you go, I want you to wait. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 2 verse 1 starts like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's important. The Holy Spirit came when they were all together. In fact, when you read Acts 2, it's significant how many times you read this word together. You see, the decision to follow Christ is a personal decision. But following Christ is always a communal journey. I'm going to make a bold statement. I know there are such things as Christ-less churches. I know that. But nowhere in the New Testament can you find such a thing as a church-less Christian. And so, the Spirit comes. The people gather around the disciples. Peter takes this opportunity to preach Jesus. How he's the one the prophets announced. How he's risen from the dead. How he has ascended and now sits on the throne at the right hand of God. And it's Jesus who has poured out this Holy Spirit. And it's this Jesus you killed. Many hearts are touched and they say, what do we do? And Peter says, you need to repent. And you need to be baptized. You're publicly declaring 
you believe in Jesus. And you will receive forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of this Holy Spirit. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Many Christians were taught to think of salvation as a completely individual experience. But we just read in Scripture that salvation is a community-creating event. That to be saved is instantly to be in a family. That people are saved individually, but nobody is saved independently. Because Jesus' mission is bigger than just the salvation of persons. His mission is the formation of a new family. You read the teachings of Jesus. He's not just promoting spirituality. He is producing a radically different society. And I'll say again, the New Testament simply knows nothing of following Jesus as a solo sport. That in fact, what we just read in Acts 2 shows us that belonging is essential to believing. The very first time we read the word believers, it says all the believers were together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And here's the thing. It says they devoted themselves to four things, and we all agree three of them are non-negotiable. We would all agree Christians need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to sound doctrine, to the truth of the word. We would all agree Christians need to be devoted to breaking the bread, to to taking communion, to remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. We would all agree Christians should be devoted to prayer. But it doesn't say they were devoted to three things. It says they were devoted to four things, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. Why do we think fellowship is the one of that list that is an option, that it's not non-negotiable. Because here's the reality, that when somebody drifts away from faith, they almost always had already drifted away from the community of faith. And so I'm contending that church, the way it's defined in the Bible, a local group of people that gather regularly to encourage each other to follow Jesus. I'm contending church is essential to faith. That my frequency of engagement, my frequency of getting together 
should not depend on convenience, on whether or not it might rain or I stayed out late the night before or my kids have a game. That my frequency of engagement is not motivated by convenience, it's motivated by conviction. That I have decided to be devoted to fellowship. And remember, I'm an introvert. So let me tell you four reasons why I've made that decision. Here's number one. My spiritual family informs my faith. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because living a vibrant spiritual life requires coaching. And so the Spirit of Christ equips men and women in the body of Christ to do that. Look at Ephesians 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. I need to gather regularly with other Christians to be built up in the faith to become mature by hearing the prophets and the teachers that God has given to the church. Do you understand that for most of the history of the church, Bible reading was communal? Now today we all have our own Bibles and we have the Bible on our phone and we all have our personal Bible time. That's awesome. We should all do that. But you understand for centuries, nobody had Bibles. Most people couldn't read. And so the way you heard the word of the Lord was to get together. Do you understand the Bible was written to be read together? And we need to hear the word of the Lord together. We need to hear it together with the historic church. How has the church understood God's word? I'm always suspicious of theologies that challenge what the church has thought for 2,000 years. We need to hear the word of the Lord through the lens of the global church. That is the wisdom of the body of Christ all over the world that blesses and encourages and forms. And it's not just the Bible. I'm informed in my faith when I sing the great songs. And here's the thing that was the hardest for me about online church when we didn't gather, singing. I tried, and not the same. Whether it's 10 or 1000 to hear other people say, oh, hell, the power of Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less and to realize I'm not the only one that believes that. All these other people are saying that too. That builds up my faith. Communion is so much better when I see other people taking it too. Hearing the testimonies of other saints. Here's the thing. The world is full of competing narratives. We get bombarded with all these different versions of how to see the world. We have our own way to see the world. We have our own story. We need to get together regularly and remind ourselves that we all believe it. Yes. I know a seminarian who was invited by a friend to preach at his church, and it was a black church in the inner city. The seminarian was a white guy. He got there at 11, thinking, oh, church will be over about 12. He didn't even get up to preach until 1230. <laughs> church lasted about two and a half hours. He was exhausted. 
And in a nice way, he asked his pastor friend, why do black people go to church so long? And the pastor reminded him, in this part of the city, unemployment's 50%. It's higher than that if you're a teenager. And all week long, my people hear this word. You don't have much. You're not worth much. You don't matter. And I have to get them in here and I have to tell them that's a lie. You are royalty. You are God's child. You are precious and you matter to him. And it takes a while to fill them with God's truth because they've heard so much false truth all week long. That's why we gather. Because truth together is stickier than truth alone. My spiritual family informs my faith. My spiritual family encourages my faith. Because it's not easy to swim upstream in a downstream world. We don't live in a world where Christian thought is affirmed. In fact, often Christian thought is mocked. And if you just float with the culture, you will float away from faith. And so we need to get together and not settle for less than what God is calling us to be. And that's probably why there's a word that appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. And it's the powerful word, encourage. One example, Hebrews 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Please notice, he didn't say, I am encouraging you to attend church. He says, attend church so that you can encourage each other. Do you understand every time you visit a church, every time you go to a small group, when you get out of the car, you have an assignment from God. Your assignment is to see who you can encourage. We keep gathering to help each other keep following. So when I was in college, I got invited to go on a ski trip. I'd never been in my life. I was excited. It got canceled because of lack of snow. First week back for spring semester, a big storm comes through New Mexico, dumps a bunch of snow. Some buddies say, hey, Rick, let's skip a couple of days of class and let's go skiing. And I did. Okay, all you students, that was wrong. <laughs> Don't do what preacher Rick did. Don't ever skip school. As long as your parents know, okay? <laughs> so I go skiing. First day, we're on the bunny slope at the bottom. And by lunch, I had it figured out. I can do the bunny slope. I'm sitting with my buddies. We've never skied before. I say, let's go to the top of the mountain and conquer this thing. So we got on a lift and we went to the top of the mountain. Nobody told me that by afternoon, your legs are really tired from skiing. Nobody told me there ain't no bunny slopes at the top of the mountain. It was steep. And we fell, and we fell again. And each time we fell, we got more and more tired. And by 4 o'clock, the mountain is closing, and we're only halfway down. And what made it worse is that ski patrols would go by. Time to get off the mountain. Swish, 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 swish. <laughs> a couple of minutes later, time to get off the mountain. Swish, 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 swish. If I could have tripped one of those guys, I would have done it. <laughs> I didn't need to be told to get off the mountain. I wanted off the mountain. What I needed was someone to come alongside and help me. 
Do you know the word encourage literally means to come alongside? And by the way, the best way to do that is usually in smaller groups. Now, they met in temple courts. They had their big praise times, but they met in homes. Because typically, it's in that smaller group that you can get more real about where you need some encouragement. You know who knows that is people in recovery. People in recovery know I can't get free by myself. This last summer, we launched Celebrate Recovery at our church, led by Ryan Young and his great team. It's off to an amazing start. And already, we're seeing people come to faith. This past Thursday night, our evangelist, uh, E.J. Brown, baptized a man, another man, who said, I can't get free by myself. I need Jesus, and I need people. Okay? Now, here's the thing. We're all in recovery. The people at CR are just honest enough to admit it. We're all in recovery. We all need people in our life we can be real with. I understand why because of the pandemic, most of our small groups stopped meeting. I get that. I understand for some it's still not time. But let me be very, very clear. Every member of our church needs to be in a community group or an equip group or a recovery group. Every one of us. You need to go to thehills.org forward slash groups and find out how you can get connected to a group of people committed to encouraging your faith. Every time you gather, you have an assignment. Gathering in my family informs and encourages my faith. One more thing, it exercises my faith. Because family is expensive. Fellowship is costly. You want to have real community, you're going to have to sacrifice your time, your money, your energy, your service. I think it's significant. In Acts 2 and later in Acts 4, we get the best picture of what the first church was like. And in both those passages, a lot of space is given to how generous they were. Acts 4, for example, says all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Fellowship trumped ownership. Now here's a truth over 40 years of preaching has taught me. Follow the money if you want to find out who's serious about following Jesus. And by the way, I didn't say that. Jesus did. Nothing exercises my faith more than the daily decision, where am I going to invest the best part of me? My money, my time, my energy. What or who gets it? So every week we get checks at the church. We got one this last week I need to show you. Because it's from an inmate. So there's a woman in our church who's in her 80s, and she, she corresponds with women in prison. And one of these ladies has come to faith in Jesus, and it's the teaching of our church that is growing and building up her faith. So she got a stimulus check in prison, and she tithed on it and sent it to our church. Now, I'm thinking if I'm in prison, 
I need every single dollar I can find to spend on myself. She is exercising her faith. That's what my parents taught me. They taught me to tithe to my church. The bulk of my income goes to my family. The bulk of my charity and my generosity goes to my spiritual family. Ever since I was 14 and got my first job, I've tithed to my church. And I know the little I gave probably was not very essential to my church family, but I know it was absolutely essential to my faith. And I believe the impact was not just and is not just on my faith alone. Because the last thing I think my spiritual family does is proclaim my faith. We all have the individual responsibility to share our faith, but our witness is better together. Go back and let's read one more time how the author Luke summed up the first church. They praised God and they were liked by all the people. Every day the Lord added those who were being saved to the group of believers. Real fellowship gets rave reviews because we live in such a bitter, angry, divided, fractured world where today the way you establish your identity is to let people know who you don't like. And into that world comes a church a church that transcends racial differences, a church that transcends economic differences, a church that transcends all the labels that culture puts on people. And they looked at that family. And folks said, I want to get adopted into that family. And every single day, someone was getting baptized because the church was proclaiming the faith. Now, there's lots of ways for our church to shine our light in our community. In fact, when we roll out our new vision next month, you're going to be shocked at all the different ways we can do good in our neighborhood. But I want to say one of the best ways we shine our light is by inviting people to meet our family. And the single thing that has grieved me most during the pandemic is we used to do that a lot. We used to, every single week, bring friends to our church family. We used to see people every week getting baptized. And that's really slowed down. I understand why. But I'm praying it doesn't last much longer. There's something really winsome and attractive and evangelistic about introducing people to what God's family is like. And if you disagree with that, let me ask you a question. Why is the enemy trying so hard to ban church gatherings wherever he can? Why in any nation on earth where he can is he making it illegal or dangerous for churches to meet? Because Satan knows every time we meet, we witness. I've got a good example of that to show you. You might recall in 2017, two churches in Egypt were bombed. ISIS took credit. 
45 of our fellow believers in Jesus were killed. You can see the bloodstained pews. They chose Palm Sunday to make a statement that they don't want the message of the resurrected Christ on Easter to gain any traction in their country. And so the message was clear. You better stay home on Easter. It might cost you your life. So let me show you what next Easter looked like. And they sent a profound message and witness to their nation. If Jesus of Nazareth is raised from the dead, then we will not walk in fear. They were devoted to fellowship. We all have to make the same decision. And here's the thing. Deep down, I think you know how essential it is to your faith. What you might not know is how essential it could be to someone else's. Let's pray about that. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that everything that was true and good in this message will be planted deep in our hearts. I want to thank you for all the people over the decades who've been a part of my family, who loved me, who poured into me, who helped raise me in the Lord. And I pray, God, that you would impress upon all of us the understanding that when we chose Jesus, we chose his family too. That there was no other way to follow Jesus than to be committed to a community. A community where we receive, but also where we give. And one more thing, God. I'm asking in the next several months, would you bring hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who don't know Jesus to meet our family? Because we're praying that if they meet us, They'll meet him. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.